Welcome to Murder Bucket. I'm your host, Hannah, and this is the podcast where I dive deep into murders, paranormal activity, abductions, kidnappings, and weird stuff. Let's see what I'm going to pull out of the bucket this week. We've made it to another lovely Tuesday. If this is your first time coming to the Murder Bucket podcast, you might not know what goes on on Tuesdays. Right now, we're currently in a 28-episode series called The Cold Case Road Trip. Every week, we explore two locations within the 50 states, D.C., and five inhabited territories. Tonight, we have made it to stops 19 and 20, and we will be traveling to North Carolina and Washington. Now, what we like to do here on Murder Bucket is go over our week slash weekend recaps. Every week, I usually put a post on Instagram and Twitter asking you how your week was. I want to get to know you, and according to you guys, you want to get to know me. Let me quickly tell you how my week was. Thursday, we didn't have Bible study because our friend Gavin, who is a leader, was out of town this week for his job. So a couple of our friends, Lindsay and Alyssa, came over, and we just kind of sat around the kitchen table, looked at a few cookbooks that I have to try and find some recipes that use chicken stock. My friend Alyssa gets an influx of chicken stock sometimes, and she was trying to find other creative ways to use it rather than just soup, because you know, you eat so much soup, you get a little sick of it. Friday, don't believe I really did anything. It was just another Friday. Saturday, I worked a little bit of overtime at my job. We've been trying to catch up with our backlog, and I'm not exactly sure if us working on Saturday helped. We'll see. It was still nice to get paid a little bit of extra. Afterwards, I went with a coworker to go look at a apartment. She's moving out for the first time on her own, and I kind of figured if I went with her, I could help maybe ask some questions that she didn't think about or kind of help her feeling a little overwhelmed with all the new things that are going on. So that was really nice. And then we had church on Saturday night, which was really great. Got to see a few people we haven't seen in a while. Did a little hangout in the parking lot, ate dinner. That was really nice. Before coming home that night, my husband and I and our daughter went by Dick's Sporting Goods here in our area to go look at some softball equipment because our church has started up their softball league. And of course, I decided to join me who hasn't played softball since probably middle school. And the reason I quit was because I got hit in the face with a ball and I didn't like it anymore. But that's beside the point. I'm now a grown adult. I can make my own decisions, choose if I want to play softball or not. So that's what I did. I ended up getting a glove, a ball, and some cleats. Sunday, we didn't go to church that morning because we went on Saturday, but we ended up going that afternoon because we were helping watch a few kids who their parents were in a discipleship class. And that was actually really fun to see my daughter interact with other kids. Because of COVID, she really hasn't been able to do that. So it was actually super cute. 
the youngest little girl was chasing her around as our daughter was crawling and trying to catch up with her. And then they were playing blocks together. And it was just really cute. After we were done doing that, we headed over to the softball field and played our very first game. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to attend the practice that happened beforehand because I was helping watching those kids. We actually did really good. Even though a lot of us haven't played in a very long time, we won. I hit the ball every single time I was at bat. I actually scored on my very first time going up there in I don't know how many years, and it was fantastic. I did realize, though, that the bats that they had were just a little too big. I am on the shorter side, if you say, possibly. I am under five feet tall. Don't judge. I'm adorable. I just knew that I was going to need a shorter bat, even though I did hit every single time I was at bat. So at lunchtime on Monday, I went to another Dick's Sporting Goods here in our area and found a bat that's perfect size, perfect weight, and got a bag so I can carry all my stuff and stop using grocery bags. Now I am all ready for next week's game, and I'm so excited. I just, I can't wait. I love being outside. I love being with other people, and it's just wonderful to be able to play a game and not really care if we win or lose. Okay, enough about me. Let's go move on to Instagram and see how your week was. Chaotic Neutral Pod said they got their new laptop set up. Film Files Canada said that their week was really good. They spent most of their weekend planning and scheduling content for July. That is really exciting. I am actually a little bit jealous because... I'm the worst at planning and scheduling anything. Usually all my stuff happens last minute. History at Max said that their boyfriend made them a driving obstacle course, and that sounds really fun. And then lastly, Paula underscore Kershaw said that they got to see their three oldest grandkids, and the two girls had their dance recital, which was really cute. And I would have to agree because those are my nieces and they are adorable. By the way, Paula underscore Kershaw is my mother-in-law. Just thought you should know that little tidbit of information. Hashtag fun fact. Let's move on over to Twitter. Let's see. Lady Justice Podcast said that their week was really good because they got to celebrate their youngest birthday and got to eat cake. That is really good. Happy birthday to your youngest. I hope you had a little slice of cake for me, please. Straight Up Evil Podcast also said that they celebrated their youngest son's first birthday. Happy birthday. I hope you also had cake. And last but not least, Happy Horror Time said that they got to see the new Spiral slash Saw movie, and they were really impressed by it. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm going to tell you right now that I'm probably not going to see it. I'm sure my husband and our two friends on Is This Scary podcast will probably watch it and might do an episode about it. Looks like that was it for the weekend slash week recap. I want to thank you again for letting me know how your weeks have been. I appreciate it. I love seeing all the things. Let's get started with tonight's cases. Stop 19, North Carolina. 
Samatha Bearmore, 24, was an exotic dancer at Trigger Bear's VIP club in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. On the morning of April 6, 2004, she got into a Willard Cab Company taxi after finishing a shift and was never heard from again. Since she didn't own a vehicle at the time of her disappearance, she relied on public transportation and her family to drive her around. Her sisters went to the club on April 8th to pick her up, but was told she wasn't there. They decided to go back the next day and was informed that she hadn't been to work in several days. Her family reported her missing on April 10th, 2004. Samantha lived with her boyfriend Cedric Lemon in an apartment on Silas Creek Parkway. She told her family that she was considering leaving Cedric because things had become tense at home. The two had met at a nightclub in 1999 where Cedric was working as a bouncer. They didn't become romantically involved until 2003. The manager of the Sugar Bears, Bob Evans, told a reporter that he had witnessed Samantha leaving the club on April 6th. He described her as a pleasant girl who was always smiling. Her stage name at the club was Sunshine, and Bob states that it fit her very well. Some of the dancers state that they saw her arguing in the parking lot of the club with a man that they did not recognize. Unfortunately, the Winston-Salem police issued a statement later stating that she was alone when she got into the taxi the morning that she disappeared. In an article on ourblackgirls.com, Cedric is quoted saying, She has left before and maybe gone and stayed for a couple of days, and I thought maybe this was one of them. Samantha's family and friends began searching for her. They went to other exotic clubs, hotels, talked to residents in the area, and hung up missing person flyers. When they visited the apartment, they noticed that all of her belongings, including a dance bag that she had her makeup in and carried everywhere, were still in the apartment. They believed that if she left on her own accord, she wouldn't have left her things behind. Cedric then realized that the situation was more serious when her family came to the apartment to look for her. On April 28, 2004, Cedric was arrested on a felony probation violation for failing to appear in court. He was questioned by the police, and he admitted that their relationship was rocky. He also told them that he saw her the morning that she went missing, but wasn't responsible for her disappearance. He went on to say that when she did come home, they got into an argument and she left. He claims that the police questioned him for hours, took blood samples from him, and forced him to take a polygraph test. Police deny these allegations. Cedric then posted a reward of $10,000 to anyone with information that would lead to Samantha's whereabouts. Her family continued to search for her for three months. Samantha's mother, Barbara Ash, is a property manager for the Lexington Housing Authority and has several contacts in Winston-Salem. She talked with anyone and everyone that she could who might know anything regarding her daughter's disappearance. She thought maybe her daughter became a dancer in a different city, so she began to take trips. Some of those places she went were Charlotte, Union, Columbia, and Gaffney. She went to a biker rally in Myrtle Beach and posted flyers. As soon as she checked into a hotel, she was out talking to people. On a trip to Columbia, while hammering a flyer into a utility pole, she was stopped by a police officer. 
She was informed that she was not allowed to do that. So instead, her and her boyfriend stood in a parking lot at strip clubs handing out flyers. No one recognized her or knew anyone named Sunshine. After all her failed searches, Barbara believes her daughter is no longer alive. She told the Winston-Salem Journal, I truly feel my child is dead, and I just would like to have her remains. Barbara recalls the conversation she had with her daughter several years prior, where she told her that if she became an exotic dancer, she would most likely end up dead. She regrets that conversation every single day. On tapatalk.com, she states that she stopped going on trips and took the photos of her daughter out of her living room because it made her too sad. Cedric Lemon died of a drug overdose in 2018. At the time of her disappearance, Samantha was 5'6 and weighed roughly 115 pounds. She had brown hair and brown eyes. If you have any information regarding her disappearance, please contact the Winston-Salem Police Department. Stop 20, Washington. On February 28, 2019, 20-year-old Matthew Anfelt left his home in Grand Mound, Washington, and walked into the road along Old Highway 99. He was panicking and shouting that his family had just been murdered and he needed to hide. A witness called 911 and told the dispatcher that it seemed that he was having a mental breakdown. He was then seen just two miles away at the Speedway grocery store. He had blood covering his mouth and again began panicking and shouting about needing to hide. A clerk at the grocery store called 911. Matthew then ran out of the door and he was never seen again. Matthew was born in Washington State on January 27, 1999, and grew up very close to his family. He kept in constant contact with his mother, Sarah, even after moving out on his own. Matthew had a passion for music. He created a Facebook page called M.T. Hayes Prod. M.T. Hayes was his stage name. He released recordings and freestyle rapping videos, and his last post was on February 24th, 2019. A year prior to his disappearance, on December 22, 2018, Matthew was jumped by three people in hooded sweatshirts while walking home from a store. According to him, they beat him up and cut his chest. He fell in and out of consciousness during this assault. He did manage to make his way home. He then recorded a video of himself covered in blood and uploaded it on social media. His older brother was the first to see this and frantically got in touch with him. Of course, he was traumatized, so he made his way to his mother's house the next morning. She urged him to go to the hospital and report the assault to the police. He refused because he was afraid that it would put his family in danger. He later took the video down he had recorded the night of the assault. When talking to his friends... He refused to mention any names or reveal why anyone would want to hurt him. He just kept repeating that he knew people were out to get him. Matthew and his sister hung out on the day that he disappeared. They went bowling and then returned to the family home around 4 or 4.30. The plan was to watch movies in his sister's room, which was located in the garage. Before the first movie started... He told his sister that he needed to get his cell phone, which was in the main house. He didn't return. 
That's when the weird encounter started. Around 5.30, deputies responded to the first 911 call from the neighbors, as previously mentioned. The neighbor told the dispatcher that Matthew was ranting about his family's death and claimed that people were after him. She said that he appeared to be in the middle of a mental breakdown. He was then seen hopping a nearby fence and ran into the road, which caused several vehicles to swerve. According to the clerk who saw Matthew at the Speedway grocery store, he told deputies that he appeared panicked and sweaty. As he did with the neighbor, he kept saying his family had been murdered. Obviously, the first thing that deputies did was to do a welfare check on his family, and they were all alive and well. They didn't have any answers as to why Matthew was acting so strange. His family told the deputies that he has never acted like this before and has never gone more than 24 hours without checking in with his mother. Deputies told the family that witnesses noticed that he wasn't dressed for the cold temperatures and he wasn't carrying his wallet or his cell phone. Investigators believed at first that Matthew had been picked up by someone who was trying to help him, but no one came forward. When investigators checked the hospitals in the area, he hadn't shown up at any of them, so this led them to believe that their theory was wrong. Investigators sent his cell phone to forensic experts in hopes of finding any information on his whereabouts. They thought maybe there would be text messages or emails regarding the strange behavior he portrayed. They unfortunately didn't find anything. There were several tips that came in to the station, but all led to dead ends. His mother posted missing person flyers throughout the area, and deputies made a call to the public asking for help. In March of 2019, there were numerous searches conducted using drones and the local canine unit. Deputies released a map of the area where Matthew was last seen. They asked everyone to search outbuildings, crawl spaces, wooded areas, and tall grass. They were told that they could contact deputies if they didn't feel comfortable searching those areas by themselves. A GoFundMe page was set up two months after Matthew's disappearance. This was set up to raise money for a reward and to cover any expense for hiring a private investigator. His mother, Sarah, shared that if there was any money left over, the family was going to donate it to another family that was struggling to locate a missing loved one. The page has since closed, but it does look like about $1,000 was raised. I hope it helped in some way. Deputies think that Matthew's disappearance and the incident in 2018 are related. In an article on Q13Fox.com, Detective Mickey Hamilton with the Thurston County Sheriff's Office is quoted saying, He mentioned right before he went missing to a couple of his friends about some people who were after him, but we haven't been able to develop who those people were. He didn't specifically mention names of who was after him or why. So we need information that the public could provide. Matthew did have visible injuries from that incident, but unfortunately there wasn't a police report filed. In May of 2019, the family hired a private investigator to help the case move forward. In June, they held a yard sale fundraiser at Tumwater High School to help raise money to continue the search. Sarah set up a Facebook page called Help Find Matthew Enfeld. It currently has 2.8 thousand members. 
She posts regularly regarding his case, such as missing person flyers and bumper stickers, as well as other families' missing person information. In one post, she writes, Not one day has gone by that I have not thought of you, missed you, shed tears, or prayed for you. If you somehow see this, we need you to know how deeply you were loved and missed. We just want you home. Please remember you have and always will be my number one champion. We will never give up on you, and we love you. The most recent information that she has shared is an article from crowonline.com. It was written yesterday, May 17th, 2021. It states that the Centralia Police Department found human remains in the Chehalis River near Mellon Street. Officers located human remains partially submerged in mud and water in the area described to them by the reporting party. The cause of death is unknown at this time and further examination will be needed to try and identify who the human remains are. Sarah posted the article this morning at 2 a.m. Her caption reads, I have been on the phone all morning. The detective doesn't know anything at this point. The Lewis County Coroner's Office was only able to tell me that the remains were sent to a Seattle anthropologist, which I'm assuming would mean that it was bones that were found. I don't typically let these things bother me too much, but for some reason, this one is hitting me extremely hard. Please keep us in your prayers. This one is gut-wrenching. As far as I can tell, this is the most recent update. For the sake of this family, I also pray that this is Matthew. It might provide the family with some bit of closure. Matthew was last seen wearing a black and gray Chicago Bull sweatshirt, gray sweatpants, and no shoes. He might have been having a mental health crisis at the time of his disappearance. It's also possible that he was under the influence of illegal drugs. He was roughly five foot six and weighed around 110 pounds. If you have any information regarding Matthew's whereabouts, you were encouraged to contact Detective Mikey Hamilton with the Thurston County Sheriff's Office. And that concludes tonight's episode. Please enjoy this promo from my friend at Thrice Cursed, a true crime and paranormal podcast. Thanks for sticking around to the end. I hope you have enjoyed tonight's episode. Be sure to check us out on Instagram at Murdbucket, Twitter at The Murder Bucket, and Facebook at Bucket Murd. Check out weekly posts regarding new episodes and chime in on the weekend slash week recaps. I would love to get to know you better. Have a great day. Hello, I'm Rebecca Rosewood. And I'm here to help you keep your curses hexy and your hexes sexy in this snarky true crime and paranormal podcast. If you like a little personality with your true crime and a little scare with some flair, I've got you covered. Thrice Cursed is available anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also find my curse content on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Thrice Cursed Pod. And you can find even more at ThriceCursedPod.com. Until then, keep it hexy.